Hi, this is Doug Jones, and you're listening to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. I know! Sci-Fi Saturday Night. We will begin a mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you can be so easily! It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess, and we will give you witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message to bring your people. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Five by Saturday night. Welcome to yet again another Area 51 recording of Sci-Fi Saturday Night, the only podcast to guarantee it's a waste of electrons, and (laughs) you get to hear stuff. This week, it's episode 483. It's another pandemic countdown day here, so tonight, it's only a semi-quarantine evening in Area 51. We've let Cam out of his uh, quarantine cage. And it's Hollywood Vampire Night, and we'll explain what that means in a moment. Yeah. Uh, We're still in social distancing show mode because of the uh, whole world caught up on Zoom doing that that kind of Zoom stuff. And uh, still difficult to get a clear channel signal. See what I did there with that whole clear channel? Oh, yes, I see. I see. (laughs) Yeah, they they can go choke. Anyhow, so we're once again using a paired back uh, cast. Hoping for the best. So sitting in at the Area 51 help desk and snack bar, it's Commander Cam. Commander Cam, how are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing pretty darn good, Tom. I'm doing very well, and thank you for freeing me from the uh, my little plexiglass tube of... Uh, of uh, we, had, we had to clean out the hamster tube. We really did. That was... Well, yeah, you act- know, when, when you put me in there, you know, with my food and all those wood chips and that water bottle, you know, what did you expect to happen? Well, I expected a lot of things, but I didn't expect you to be pounding it the way you did. And I thought that was kind of weird and kind of yeah. kind of very weird. But, you know, yeah. Uh, uh. So our, our friend in Canada, Mickey, say hi to Mickey. Uh, when, hi, when you talk hi, Mickey. To him. Hi, Mickey. <laughs> Sent us sends us all kinds of cool stuff. And he sent us something called called the Holly Stone Mystery Series. Uh, and, and, uh, he's, he does this weird thing. He sends us a book halfway through, through a series and he says, (laughs) try this and see what you think. And I went, Mickey, why do you, why do you do this? And he says, book four in the Holly Stone mystery series. And I went, okay, fine, fine. (laughs) We'll try this. And we tried it. And the author is W.L. Hawkins, better known as Wendy Hawkins. And we liked it. And we'd like to welcome to the show, Wendy Hawkins. And it's Hawkins, not Hawkins. And I'm sorry. I've already screwed up your name and I apologize. <laughs> Wendy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Tom. And don't, Does everybody don't, screw up your name like that? I, I apologize. Um, quite a bit. And let me just let me just start by saying that the, the name Hawkins um, is kind of a name a lot of people have, but my name Hawkin is a name I created 
when I got divorced about uh, 25, 30 years ago. And it means kin of the hawks. So hawk kin is what it means. Gotcha. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. And I was going to ask how that name came about because well, it is well not played. Okay. It's, it's <laughs> not one of those straight ahead names. And so I knew as I was going to, as we were going to do this, you know, any odd name other than Smith or Jones, I'm going to screw up anyway. I am known for that. And I apologize right off the bat. Um, so let's talk for a little bit, if we can, before we get into the book itself, about the Holly Stone Mystery Series mm-hmm. and how this came about, because it's an odd little series in and of itself. It is a little bit quirky, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Quirky? Um, sure. We can start quirky. with that. <laughs> okay. Um, I I think it came about because I was I was teaching English in a high school, and I'm a I'm an introvert. A lot of people don't believe me, but it's true. And how do you, wait, wait a second. Let's let's just stop there for up. a minute because <laughs> how how do you get to be an introvert high school English teacher? Those are mutually exclusive terms. They don't work well together. That's why I'm not there anymore. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, I'm good. With yeah, that. yeah. So I was there for several years, actually, about 17 years, um, with about 1,200, 1,200 kids in the school. Oh. So that's a lot of lo- energy and that, a lot of bodies. <laughs> and um, and I was, you know, coming home and kind of like crashing out on the the couch and watching Sheldon and Leonard um, (laughs) for hours at a time and it wasn't good. So anyway, what I started doing on the weekends was writing to escape and this character Estrada came to me kind of fully loaded. Um, I kind of fell in love with him myself and. Okay. So let's stop for a minute now and let's (laughs) talk about, because I really want our, our audience to get a feel for Mm -hmm. who this character Estrada is because this is one very very interesting character that you start with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he came to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very, yeah. Very yeah. He 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 he's become uh, he's become like a big piece of my life, and he just he just stayed. But when when he came, he came fully loaded. He is a uh, a magician in a goth club in Vancouver. So he started out that way. Um, He and his friend, Michael Stryker, are polyamorous, free-spirited, bisexual guys that that run this goth club. So Michael's the manager and and Estrada is the magician. And so- By magician, you don't mean a sleight of hand kind of guy. I absolutely do, yeah, Chris Angel kind of guy. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's got like a stage show, he a gothic um gothic cloak kind of a stage okay. show. So he brings out guillotines and has his head chopped off and they wear skeleton suits, <laughs> neon skeleton suits and they have weird drinks and they do a lot of Michael spikes the drinks with ecstasy frequently. Um they 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 do a lot of drugs. They drink a lot. This is the first book and um yeah, so he he appeared and he was just, he was such an interesting guy. And the two of them together started talking to me and showing me things because I'm pretty visual. And so I would just see what they were doing and I would hear what they were talking about and I would like write it all down. So that's part of my process with him. Gotcha. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. gotcha. Now mm-hmm. realize, and, and 
our audience has to also realize I have not read the first three books. Right. I did not get introduced to the series, to these characters, or even to you until book four. Exactly. So I'm trying to glean knowledge about this. Mm hmm. The same way the our audience is right now through you. So please go on. Mm hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so Estrada evolved as as someone who who saves people. So he has he's very flawed. He he gets into a lot of fights around his morals, especially with um, the 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 coven high priestess because he's he's a magician, but he's also the high priest of Hollystone Coven. Hence why it's the Hollystone Mysteries. Mm -hmm. And 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 Sincera, who is the high priestess, of course, loves him and is very kind of straight up and he's the opposite. So she really deplores him and she deplores Michael Stryker to the point that in one of the books, she actually curses him and it doesn't go well for Michael, as you might have picked up at the beginning of this At the book. beginning of book four, yes, <laughs> yep, yep. absolutely. Without, yes. without giving away any spoilers, yes. We're going to try to keep this spoiler free. Yes. So <laughs> part of the reason that Michael had such a bad time in book three is because Sincera cursed him, and she's a very powerful um, Wicca priestess. She had just had enough. So, so that's going on. So... Um, what else can I say about him? He has he has some interesting talents and gifts in that he's a bit of a shifter. So he can he can put his mind inside like a raven, for example. And he's a hypnotist, so he's able to use that power quite a bit. He's practiced being Houdini because he loves Houdini. He's a magician. So he's he's quite athletic and he's practiced, you know, sitting in the bottom of a pool and holding his breath, which comes in handy from time to time. And and what happened with him is over the course of these four books, what I realized at the end of it, because I don't plan anything, I've just written what he's told me to write all the way along. And at the end of it, I realized every book is about him saving somebody, but it's also and traveling to save them. So he always goes somewhere which is a great excuse for me to go somewhere. Um, but <laughs> yeah, there's some method in there. Um, but he, he also has this big character arc where he, he kind of in book three begins to look at his morality a little bit and go, Oh geez, I'm kind of a jerk. You know, he, he starts to look at the double standard. So he makes, well, I don't know. He makes huge changes, but he's, he's attempting <laughs> He is attempting to make some changes and to decide who it is he really loves and who he wants to be with. Yeah. So it seems, it seems to me, as you began this odyssey of what we're going to call the Holly Stone Odyssey, mm -hmm. that you began by realizing that you had not a story to tell, but a character who had a story to tell. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This and, is really, yeah. And that while most people, a lot of writers, <clears throat> a lot of writers have a process who, and and that process never varies. 
And that process can be anything from I wake up in the morning, I have a cup of coffee, I sit down at my rusty, trusty typewriter <laughs> uh, it, that sits at a desk in front of the same window. And I look out over that same vista every day and I wait for my inspiration to come. Mm -hmm. But it seems to me you wait for your conversation. Well, yeah. And all I have to do is ask. Really. And that's How wonderful. Yeah, it's it's actually my gift, I think. Um, and it's in it's and it's quite strong when it comes. I, I can tell you after the beginning. So this book, after I wrote book three, as I said, there's a very tragic ending to it. And I had left Estrada in a really bad place, which I picked up again at the beginning of this book. It would and, have had to have been because the beginning of book four is the end yeah. of a very, a very bad place. Yeah, exactly. And so I was I had left it and I was writing another book. So I was writing like a lighthouse mystery that was kind of lighthearted. And I was about 30,000 words into this. And I was like, I'm going to write a traditional like male, female book because my books are all over the place in terms of who's with who. and and then I was really lonely for him one night. And so just as I was going to bed, I'm like, where are you? I literally said it out loud because I do talk to him. And I'm like, where are you? What are you doing? I really miss you. And I went to bed. And in the morning, I woke up and I knew where he was and I knew what he was doing and I knew what space he was in. And I went, oh, man, you're writing the wrong book. So I stopped and I started writing this book. That was it. Yeah. How does that happen? Seriously. Um, how does how does that happen? How do you how how do you what do you do? You wake up, you have your coffee or what your morning drink du jour, and you just sit down and you go, okay. No, not begin? even not even that. Not I'm really? talking about waking up with a, like like it's almost like a dream sequence in my head, and I see the whole thing in Technicolor. Like I really, the, one of the things I would love is to see these books on film because I I see them all that way. Like they're very much um, visual to me. So I would agree. I would definitely agree with that. Like the the one scene again, trying not to give too much away, but the one scene with the bull and the 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 stampeding herd of cattle. And, yeah. and the horses behind it, just like the way I read it and the way you described it really did feel cinematic, like it was built to be put on the big screen. And there's plenty mm -hmm. more scenes like the scene near the end at the cave in the cave feels very cinematic. The and volcano, the volcano, the volcano. Well, I was yeah, trying to get, I was trying to, you know, be very vague. But yes, oh. the volcano, the <laughs> volcano at the end. Um, I don't know if that's an important if that that's really that important. So that's probably not really that spoilery. But um, yeah, the volcano at the end felt very cinematic the way you described that. Mm -hmm. And it just the scene by the, the book is another cinematic yes. scene. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there's tons of scenes here that you can just see that you looked at it from the point of view of a director just going there and going, okay, what's my camera angle? What do I need for this shot? How should it look? Where should my camera be pointed? Just everything read like that. And so it's just, yeah, it's interesting you say that because everything I read, I'm thinking, 
wow, this would be a great scene in a movie. This would be a great scene. So it's interesting that you say the same thing. Mm, that that is my dream. That is my dream. That would be so. That would be so great. And honestly, I don't know. I don't know how it happens. I really don't. I don't even know. I finish these books and I read them and I'm like, really? Because I read. I don't plan anything. I don't do an outline. I just. I just say, okay, what happens next? And and then I and then I write it. And at the end, I read it. And then I'm like, okay. And I also use the um, Joseph Campbell's hero's journey a little bit as a mm -hmm. plot device. But I use that after I write the whole book. <laughs> so so at the end of the whole book, I can like draw a great big circle and, you know, put, you know, the ordinary world, the supernatural world, the things that happen, and I can plot the whole thing after and it fits. And I'm like, thank you. <laughs> it just, it works. So, so how do you hold, as, you, as you're, are you writing stream of consciousness as you do this? Or are you, how are you holding the content together as you put it together? I think I am writing like that. I think I am. Because, like, what will happen is I'll just, uh, when I sit down at the typewriter, I can see it. But then I have to do the part, the part that's the writer in me has to pick the right words in the right order. Because I'm not, I'm not like, you know, photographic mind where I'm somebody saying type this. Um, I see it and then I have to use my craft to actually create the sentences and put it where it needs to be. Are you, when you sit down at the, how long do you write at, at a sitting? You know what? It really, it depends what's happening. I mean, I've had things happen where if, if I'm on and they're talking, like I'll sit for like six or seven hours at the computer. But then other times I won't write for a few days and I'll be out walking in the woods and all of a sudden I'll see a scene and I'll pull out my iPhone and just start talking about what I'm seeing. And then I'll go home and write it down. So... After after a couple of hours sitting in front of the computer, when you look back and you kind of do a, a re-edit to just kind of straighten things out, do you look at it and go, I did that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and And characters continually surprise me because, I mean, I've had characters die I had a character commit suicide that I didn't know that was going to happen and I was literally in tears as I was writing it and I think that translates that raw emotion comes through you know in the characters like there's the there's one scene with um with uh Fergus where he's he's quite nasty to Rory <laughs> and, um you know and and I really didn't know he was going to do that. I was like, well, that's, that's pretty bad. But, uh, but that's what happened. And then it was, okay, how, are we, how do they deal with that? So, mm -hmm. so <laughs> All choked up, though. Not, not choked up, but I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, Wendy, how to deal with you. <laughs> Is that oh, fair? Right. I love that. I don't think anybody said that to me before. 
I, I have had somebody said, I'd love to get in her head and roll around for a day or so and just see what goes on in there. A no, reviewer wrote no, that. No, no, I'm not. I'm not sure I want to be there yet. But, but I don't know how to deal with you. And here's why. Um, I don't know where you are. I, I I don't understand. Um, boy, I don't even know how to put this. I mean, I love how you write. I just don't understand how it works. Well, maybe we're not supposed to understand gifts. You know, that's the whole mystery of art, isn't it? We just some, accept it. Some artists I do understand. Mm -hmm. Some writers I do understand. Some, some, uh, uh, um, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Wendy, it's not often I see dome at a loss for words. In fact, it's <laughs> rarer than head's teeth. So Holy you, you shit, just, but you I'm just, there right now. You just <laughs> won the award for oh, leaving Dome at a loss for words. <laughs> oh. Yeah, yeah, totally there. Wow. I'm totally there. Because, uh, you know, I'm sitting there and, and I'm thinking to myself, she just does it. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, that's kind of how it happens. Yeah. One day it just kind of happens. Yeah. And if and if I'm you know and I'm and I'm going to ask a question and I know what the answer is and I'm going to freaking ask it anyway. What's next? <laughs> well, okay, so I'm back to that place again where I'm trying to write a traditional novel. And it's not going to happen. It's well, not no, I did. Work, is it? I did actually. I just wrote a small town romance, but I used the same process, and and it worked with some other characters. So that's actually um, good news for me because I know that this isn't just about Estrada and me. Do you know what I mean? Like so that so that you can write the other way as well is what you're saying? No, no, I'm saying I wrote a whole new book with new people in the same way. Estrada kept his mouth oh, shut long God. enough for you to get to write the write the other book. He's, he's waiting. Kind of just, oh, yeah, I'm sure he is. I'm sure he's sitting back. They, like, they step aside so you bring out some new characters. Yes. So I wrote I wrote that whole. So that's a whole other um, small town romance. And then I'm halfway through another somewhat traditional one along the same kind of lines. But since you guys did finish the book, you know that although it has a somewhat satisfying ending there's also somewhat. a little cliffhanger in there a little oh yes yeah yes and and again like i said i'm trying to keep this spoiler free but i know that part of this uh, part of the book is not a spoiler because you have it on your book jacket and on your and, and on mm -hmm. your web page that the story does involve time travel and can mm -hmm. I assume, because thank you, Mickey, um, you you, all, you said it's the fourth book. So I had, to, although I give you, I'll give you high praise right now because I, I said this off the air and I haven't said it on the air. While I still recommend anybody to pick up book one and read your way through, unlike what I did, 
I was able to pick up book four, and it's not terribly often I've been able to pick up a second, third, or fourth book and not feel completely lost. Like I'm, I'm walking into the movie in the second reel. This felt like this was its own movie. It picked up. I yep. walked in. Absolutely. And literally, you got me up to speed with the past. You, you said, these are the parts of the past that you need to know. You need to know about Michael. You need to know about his curse. You need to know about this character and what they're doing, this character, and Sorcha and mm-hmm. her, her background. Is, did I get the name right, Sorcha? Yeah, Sor- or Saurika is how they, Saurika is how Kernunos uh, calls her because he's using some ancient, weird um, Irish dialect, right? I, I, I will try to match that one then. Saurika. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, and you, uh, you know, you get us up to speed, like, because we, because, you know, we, we like, you know, kind of get a feel for it in the first 50 pages. By the first 20, I'm up to speed on the past three books. Um, you know, so I, I know what has come before or at least enough so that once you and again, like I said, because it's on your Web page, anybody can find it there. This fourth book involves time travel. By the time you open up that hole and drop us way back into the uh, to the Iron Age, you know, I already know the backstory so that I can understand why these characters do what they do including what a, you know, a certain character does at the very end, which, you know, <laughs> involves the cliffhanger, which I, I am being a very good boy about not necessarily. So far. So far. Yeah. That's why I'm almost going to shut my mouth. <laughs> but yeah, but if you do such a good job of bringing us up to speed, you know, like any good, like good television show that's, you know, multi-episode or like a movie in a series, you bring us up to speed and you get us, you know, reconnected with the characters or for like me who's never had a connection you give us that quick connection with the characters before moving on with the story and we don't feel like we're lost or like you know the people that read the first books have a far far more intimate relationship with Estrada than I do you know Mm -hmm, I feel mm -hmm. like I have the same relationship with Estrada as the person that read the first three books and I I, I think that was an amazing bit of writing on your part to just, you know, make it so easy, so accessible to just pick up. And it doesn't happen terribly often. Hmm. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, it, but it's, it, it, yeah, I do love that, that hook at the end. But, you know, it's, oh, I'm trying to think where, how I want to say this, but with the time travel and how did you make the decisions? Cause you know, that whenever you read a book about time travel, whether it's magic or whether it's science fiction, mm-hmm. you know, there are certain decisions you have to make about how time travel works and how actions affect other actions. And so yes. how did you kind of make it come to, come to your decision or was it Estrada leading you down the merry path? Well, you know, Sorsha started it. Okay. Ah. She, she started it because in the epilogue of book two, so book two is 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 also um, involves Sorsha, okay, or Sarka. She was Sorsha then, and so that involves her in and they're in Scotland at Kilmartin Glen, and she's doing her archaeological dig. And there's another fellow there, Dylan, who is in this book. Um, Dylan is there with her, and Estrada's back home in Canada. And what happens is Dylan spends a night with the well, a few things happen. Sorsha kind of gets Dylan in a precarious situation and he gets in trouble with a journalist and 
he goes off to sleep with the stones because it's summer solstice. And when he wakes up in the morning, he gets arrested for murdering this journalist that he's just gotten a fight with over Sorsha. <laughs> okay. And so he calls Estrada to come and help him out and get him out of jail. And so that, that has the, that trio of characters in it. And then at the end of that book, Kernunos, who is the horned god, and that is the one, you know, that's responsible for all this time travel. Um, during that book, things go so wrong with Dylan when he's in prison that Estrada goes out into the field of standing stones and basically conjures up all the old Celtic gods. And Kernunos appears um, with the old the uh, Celtic oak king. And, and Kernunos takes a shine to Sorsha. <laughs> so... Um, she decides that, you know, he's helped out so much and she's feeling so responsible and everything. And, and he is Kernunos that she will spend the weekend with him at Beltane. And so that's kind of what happens. So at the end of, of book two in the epilogue, she, he comes for her and it's Beltane. And he says, I will take you anywhere to any culture you want to go. Where do you want to go? Well, she didn't know particularly. And I didn't know for quite a while. But then I figured it out, <laughs> okay, that she wanted to go back and see this man who she had envisioned in the museum when, when she, she was, was a, a kid. very young child. Yeah. yeah, she was about 14 and she had, her mom was an archeologist and, and her mom had taken her to, uh, to the National Museum in Ireland to see old Croggan man. Now he's a real, he's a real thing, right? Yeah. He is an he is an artifact, and I've been there and right. seen his body. And um, so when she touched his armband and she saw him at age fourteen, she kind of fell in love with him right then. And and she decided she wanted to be an archaeologist so she could tell the story of the ancestors. She got really involved in it. And so when he brings her back to meet him, the tortured king you envisioned as a child, um, of course. You know, she has to fall in love with them, right? It's just, it's a thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean. <laughs> yeah, I quickly figured that one out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she has to. But then she also has to try and save him. And so that you're talking about time travel. So that the whole, the whole thing with the corn god is, is he's like, there are rules to this. You know, you can't change history. You can't develop bonds with anybody because if you do, you're going to change history and that's not allowed. Well, how do you do that? How do you go back in history and, and, not, change and not change anything? I mean, she teaches him to swear for one thing. <laughs> well, yeah, because I mean, and this is seeing as seeing as you have, if I have, I have muddied these waters, that I was trying to stay clear of. I uh -huh. will just continue and splash my foot right through this mud puddle. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, because she she's she's taught them words that they uh, they would never have known. So I mean, in, in some ways, I mean, she is she, just by her very presence, mm -hmm. um, she she has definitely changed this world. Um, and you know, the, it's because it's it's one of the things you know when you read any good science fiction on this, you know, it's always you know. There's the, there's the one theory you can't actually change time. Everything's set to happen. It's predestined. Yeah, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. You can't change anything. And then there's the, 
Then there's the you know divergent paths, so that when you you change time, you're now on a different path. And then there's you know there's other theories and other th- other things, at least as far as writing's concerned. Mm-hmm. And to the to this one, it seems like you know that that there is that there is a possibility to change things. But I have to question, you know, I mean, obviously, maybe Sorcha isn't as, as big into uh, time travel uh, books as I am. But I'm sitting there thinking, but if you save this king that you adore, then he's no longer in the, uh, the uh, you know, the, uh, the, the museum when you were 14 years old. So then you don't get to meet him. It's like, um, you're looking at this, you know, it's, you, you might create a paradox loop here. And that was my thought as I'm, I'm, I'm listening to her going, I'm going to save him. I'm going, don't save him. Don't yeah. Create a paradox. What are you yeah. doing? Yeah. But, but did you notice that later on, like near the yeah. end, she starts to question that herself and yes, starts to ask, she does. Am, am I the reason <laughs> that he's getting killed? Like, yes. You know, like suddenly she's like, well, wait a second here. What if I hadn't come? Would any of this ever happened? And so there's time travels bog- mind boggling, really. Well, and that's where it goes to the predestined. And then I'm sitting there. That's why at the, near that point of the book, I really then really loved it because it was like you're going, oh, well, you know, if you hadn't showed up, you were just predestined to show up, come back in time and do all this so that, you know, <laughs> things started moving in that direction. And I was going, oh, this is just beautifully evil. I love it. <laughs> Yeah, I know. And then they had to go home and, and kind of make some explanations for other people who had come for the future. And yeah, yeah. So I don't want to say too much about that, but not everybody mm-hmm. makes it home, guys. <laughs> so some um, some people yeah. decide to stay in wonderful Iron Age Ireland <laughs> for a long, you know, long time. You do what you got to do, right? Oh, true, true. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't blame them. Okay. Yeah. So Estrada, I will just say it because you did ask me at some point, what about book five? Um, I, I basically did. have some ideas about what's going to happen next. And and that's because I know him and I know I can't say that um, without being a spoiler. But yeah. um, I know I he he does say he has. Oh, I can't even say that. Never mind. Anyway, <laughs> I know I have some ideas okay. as to where can it can we, go. Can we say there's a book five? Yes. Yes, there will be a book five. Yes. 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 And on that happy note, <laughs> <laughs> we leave the furtive mind of Wendy Hawkins. <laughs> furtive because I I'm leaving this interview more confused than when I got here. <laughs> when do you become one of my favorite people to interview? Because oh. you may have left so speechless. This is just like beautiful awesome. moment for me. But I, I am, I am totally in love with it because I am so confused, <laughs> and and yet good. That's all I can say. Well, thank you. Well, listen, if you guys are into vampires, because I did hear you talking about vampires earlier, um, you know, book three, To Render a Raven, little spoiler, the ravens are vampires. So if you want to talk vampires one day, let me know. <laughs> yeah, well, I might have we can, to, al- might have can to always double- talk vampires. Mm-hmm. And we can always talk more about the Hollystone Mysteries. 
Mm -hmm. Wendy, it has been one of the most headache-inducing pleasures to talk to you. <laughs> Thank you, Dom. <laughs> speak, speak for yourself, Dom. I enjoyed every minute of it. Mwah. Thank you, Cameron. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us tonight. And it's my come pleasure. On back when book five is ready to come by. Thank you so much. <laughs> and I'll be listening to this show because it looks like it's a lot of fun. We, tr we try. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Granite Con, Plastic City Comic Con, and the Upper Valley Comic Expo. We are also sponsored by Dreamforge Magazine, a superb magazine of fantasy and science fiction, and Comic Art House. Visit Comic Art House for some of the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. And if you're looking for a really great gift book for that rapidly approaching semi-annual Fairbanks Melt Day celebration, consider a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's first anthology, My Peculiar Family, now on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. My Peculiar Family, the audiobook, is available on Audible, because I'm not sure where else you could find it. Our intro production was provided by Rob Watts. For more of his amazing stuff, just look at robwattsonline.com. And don't forget to try the Watts sauce. We have, we love it. Our outro was provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. You can find Lawrence Made Me Cry's music on Bandcamp. And a whole lot of love to Jojo and Celine. Many thanks to the gang from his booking books. Thank you, Captain Cam. This is Dome saying, Terry and Jeannie shared pain as lessons, shared joy increased. Thus, do we all refute entropy. Better things are coming, Stacy. Stay strong, Liz. So, unless it's daytime, good night, everybody. This is my brother, Yako.